hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kevin West. To order or download additional resources, please visit kevinwest.org. John was the very first book of the Bible. The Apostle John was the first book of the Bible that I read. When I, when I genuinely was converted and got saved, I was told by some older people that were in the church a long time, they said, listen, well, depending on what background you came from, a Pentecostal friend told me I need a book or read a book of Acts. You got to read a book of Acts. So I started out with Acts and I first read the first two chapters and I went, I better go somewhere else. I didn't understand what I was reading. I don't know about you all, but I didn't, I didn't really get it. Um, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. But I was also very much friends with lots of people that came from the Baptist and Presbyterian, Episcopalian, Catholic. I had all kinds of ballplayer buddies that we played ball together. And they came from all kinds of different backgrounds. So I kind of learned to appreciate every one of them. In fact, I was a part of a a youth group uh, in a Baptist church. And um, the youth pastor ended up marrying Lisa and I. And he was an incredible um, youth pastor and good Baptist man. And he told me to stay out of the book of Acts. He said, you don't want to read Acts. You got to read, you want to read John. So I read the book of John and I read the book of John over and over and over and over and over again. And the more I read the book of John, the more I realized I can identify with, with John. Um, first chapter one, obviously I talked about this Wednesday night, but just a real quick recap. John chapter one is when it says, John says in the beginning was the word, the word was God. The word was with God. It talks about how at the beginning before ever was time, the word was in God because the word was God, right? Now you all try to figure that out in your head. It's not going to happen because somewhere along the line, if you haven't asked this question, because all kids have asked it, I've asked it, where did God come from? And you have to just come to the conclusion. He just came because he was right. And if you can figure that out, more power to you. But somewhere along the line, you've got to have faith to believe he just is. Okay? And if you don't believe he just is, then you're going to try to explain it away. And if you can explain it away, then you become God. It's true. So in chapter 1, he talks about him being the word. He is the, 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 the power of God, the thought of God, the power of God. But he also talks about it was not all things were made by him, for him, and for his pleasure. So John chapter one kind of gives a depiction of the word because Jesus was known as the man, Christ Jesus. He was known as the Messiah, the savior, but this is the first time we're getting a a real clear picture from one of the the apostles, one of the, 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 uh, the, the gospel writers that say he's the word. He is the thought of the father. And you're going, my gosh, how can that be? Well, it just keeps going on. The whole chapter one is a revelation, an understanding of God and Christ, Jesus himself, being one, right? You go to chapter two, and Jesus is tearing up a wedding. I mean, he's he's performing his first wedding, a a, a, a miracle, his wedding in Cana of Galilee. He turns the place upside down by turning the water into wine. Chapter three, he runs into a religious person. Now he's his first encounter with the church people, religious people, people that have had exposure to to, to God, defenders of the faith. 
But now they're more rulers and protectors rather than embracing what Jesus was bringing to do in the earth. So here's what he did. Nicodemus comes to him as a religious person, a Pharisee, and he comes to him and says, you, you, got, you have to be from God or there's no way you could do the things you're doing. There's no way. You have to be from God. So Jesus goes on and gives him a, a, an example and says, and this is important. This is why I'm giving you this example. He says, you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus now is introducing not religion. He's not introducing a denomination. He's introducing to him how heaven and the spiritual and the common everyday practical life work together. And he says, you must be born again to see it. And Nicodemus is going, I know he's trying to talk some sort of practicality to me, but if he's talking practicality, what does that look like? And he looks and he says, how can I be born again if I'm already old enough to be, I'm a man, I can't go back up in my mother's womb. So Nicodemus knew he was trying to give him some practical understanding, but he was giving him a very spiritual approach. So Nicodemus says, I don't know how that's supposed to be. Jesus looks at him and says, but unless you're born of the water and of the spirit, you can't enter in the kingdom of God. There's a great distinction between seeing it and entering into it. Most born again people, if not all that I know, can see it. But you have to be born of the water and the spirit to enter into it. It has to become practical. This can't be a theory or a concept. You can argue for God, but if you can't show and demonstrate for God, you can see it, but you haven't entered into it. The world's not waiting for us to argue his point for him. The world's waiting for, us to, for them to see that we not only talk the walk, talk, but we're able to walk the walk and demonstrate it. Right? They don't want to know that he can heal because they all believe that he can. They believe that he, they want to see that he will. They don't want to just see that we're talking about changing a community and transformation. They want to see evidences of it. And then you look at people and you say, well, we got to walk by faith, not by sight. That's us. Right? The just shall live by faith. But I'm going to show you something. If you don't eventually turn something into reality, you're in a pipe dream. The only hope you have is heaven one day unless you're born of the water and the spirit, which means it has to become practical in your life. This thing has to become evidential, actual, touching. You have to be able to live it out. And I'm not talking about become just moral. I know a lot of moral people that aren't saved. Right? Honest, hardworking, good moral people. I'm talking about people that understand spiritual concepts but they prove them into current reality. Your life. Okay? So you have to be born of the water and the spirit, he said. Nicodemus has a little bit of trouble with that, but Jesus went on to explain to him, I'm gonna give you the difference. The difference is gonna be the spirit. It's not gonna be because you're a good person. It's because the spirit moves where he wants to. And you can't see it but you can certainly hear it, 
you can certainly feel it, and eventually it will turn into a reality. You just may not know where it's coming from. Sometimes God will sneak up behind you. Sometimes God will lead you in front of you. Sometimes God will blindside you. And you say, Lord, where did that come from? You know what I'm talking about? But you have to know that it's the spirit and the same spirit, his spirit, that's leading and guiding your life. And he goes and he leaves Nicodemus after a series of exchanges. Then he goes and runs into this woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. Now here's Jesus talking to this woman. And this woman, he wasn't supposed to be talking to. She was from a whole different side of the tracks. She wasn't a Jew. The disciples even said, you know, we don't really talk to Samaritan. We don't, we're not supposed to do that. He has an encounter with her and he says, listen, give me a drink. He's sitting there waiting with her, waiting on her to well when she comes. And he says, she says, the drink, what do, you, what do you mean give you a drink? He said, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for a drink because the water you're drinking, you'll be thirsty again tomorrow. But the water I'm ready to give you a drink from, you'll never thirst again forever. Another spiritual concept that has to turn into some sort of reality. It got her inquiring enough and inquisitive enough to keep the conversation going. Finally, he just reads her mail and says, you're, you're not even with, you're not married. And the one you're with, the five you've been with before, you weren't with them either, married to them either. He didn't condemn her. He just made a reality check to her. She goes back and tells her buddies and says, hey guys, there's a guy that's told me all I've ever done. All I've ever done. They go follow him. A few chapters later, it even says that they were following him, or actually later in that chapter, it says, we followed Jesus for your testimony, but what you said, but now we follow him because of our own. Right? It's not good enough to have somebody else's revelation of who he is. It'll get you started, but it won't sustain your life. It has to be your own current life. And your own current revelation. You gotta have. You gotta know. You gotta know him for you. So somebody else can't talk you in or out of it. Okay. Next chapter, chapter five. <clears throat> Jesus runs into this, 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 these places. He goes to this city in Bethesda, and he runs into this porch. There was five porches, and all these five porches. There was impotent folk. There was a, the people with crippled on one side. There were people blind over here. People with withered on one side. There's five different porches. But behind all those porches was this city that was just booming. There was agriculture. There was economy. There was all kinds of things that were happening behind them. Real living life. People were having education. People were building buildings. People were doing life. While that was going on inside this little cocoon were these people that were sick and been there a long time. Jesus walks up to the people on that porch. And there was a man there for 38 years. And Jesus looked at him and says, will you be made whole? And the man looks at him and says, listen, man. He said, I've been here 38 years. And he said, and in the sea, certain seasons, the angel of the Lord will come down and trouble the water. And then by the time I get up, somebody always beats me in that water and they get healed. And I just have to come back and sit on my, my place. I don't have anybody to help me. Jesus saw the condition that he was in, looks at him and says, do you want to be whole? And the man gave him an excuse. Jesus looks at him and says, Take up your bed and walk. Jesus never touched him, prayed for him. He just told him to take up that bed and walk. The very thing that you've been sitting on for 38 years, you're going to have to carry. 
the man walks into the temple, walks into church, and the religious people look at him and say, how come you're carrying your bed? It's Sunday, it's Sabbath day. They didn't even acknowledge the fact that he'd been sitting there 30 years and got healed. They were more concerned about the rule, right? So then they asked him, they said, you know, who healed you? He said, was that Jesus? And they said, I don't know who that was. Now that blows everybody's theology out. Jesus, Jesus never asked him to pray, receive him, pray the sinner's prayer. No Romans 10, 9, and 10, it wasn't written yet. He didn't ask him any of those things. He just commanded him to be healed. Behold. And then disappeared. The Bible says he conveyed himself, walked away, hid himself. The man didn't even know who he was. But he didn't know this. I sit there for 38 years and now I'm whole. Right? That's an incredible encounter, a, sequential event, a sequence of events from John, from John 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. Later, Jesus found him in the temple, come looking for him, and revealed himself to him. Okay? John chapter 6. Watch this. After these things, which I just told you about, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Now, the reason Sea of Tiberias is important, Tiberias is where the legions of the demons were. Do you remember that story? And Jesus walked by and they looked at him and said, are you coming here to destroy us or to torment us before our time? Jesus says, yeah, basically I am. I'm ready to go. The legion looks at him and says, don't destroy us. There's some swine over here. Let us go into that swine and, and, and we'll leave everybody alone. Jesus commanded them to go. They go into the swine. The swine went down a, they went down a deep, steep slope into the Sea of Tiberias and drowned those swine. So there was a history and a reputation of this sea. It was well known. And a great multitude followed him because of what? All they had seen and heard in chapter two, three, four, and five. They saw the miracles which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into the mountain and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews was near. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes, he saw a great company coming to him. And he looks at one, look at this. He looks at one of these disciples, Philip. He says, Philip, when shall we buy bread? We got to buy bread that these people can eat. They've been following us all day long. They've been following us for hours and hours. They're hungry. Look at them. He asked one of his disciples, the church, the disciple is the church. Supposed to have the answer. Peter and Philip looks back at him and said, this is, he said to prove, this is what he said to Philip to prove him for he knew himself what he was gonna do. So he's testing Philip. Philip, we're gonna buy bread. How are we gonna do this? You got a plan? Don't you feel like sometimes what the Lord looks at you and says that? What are, you, what are you gonna do about your situation? It's a little bigger than you. What are you gonna do about it? What's your plan? Knowing good and well, he's going to do something that you can't do. Thank God he knows. Thank God he's on your side. Thank God even if you try to answer right, he's still going to do his thing anyway. Right? Watch this. Philip, here's Philip. Philip, Philip's smart. <clears throat> Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread, because that's what the budget said. Okay? 200, it was a crusade. And the budget for crusade for the bread was 200 penny worth of bread. I'm just being facetious here. Somebody will take that back and say, I don't think that's in there. 
No, it's not. Okay. But 200 penny worth of bread is. It's not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. Look, he's not trying to get them a lot. See, when the church sees uh, lack, we're serving lack and not him. When we see insufficient, it should never be in your heart for somebody to get by. We got to get over into the much. Why? Because so we can have a lot? No, because we got a lot of people that have need. There's a lot of people traveling this city that have no way of operating into what we're supposed to be operating in. But if we only look at two penny worth, it's not sufficient for them that everyone will have a little. Then we'll look at this. Now he's going to get some help from one of his brothers. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said unto him, I know a guy. He's a lad. He's got five barley loaves and two small fishes. See, they go pick on the kids' ministry. <laughs> they got goldfish. May not have been two fishes, but it's got gold. They got a box of goldfish in there. But what, <clears throat> but what are... But what are they among so many? See, they're looking at the, what they have, their, 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 their means, their, their visible means. They're looking at the need. They're confound because they're getting challenged by Jesus. Because Jesus, they know in their heart, he's not going to let them just get by. So they're trying to figure out within themselves going, he's called me to that. I've got this. And I'm looking at him going, you're not going to let us get by. You might know what I'm talking about. Amen. He's not going to let you just get by with the least. He's going to show you and teach you how to live in the economics of the kingdom. And Jesus said, make all the men sit down. Since you don't have two, you have two pennies worth. Put it, here's what I did. Put it in order. And one of the things I forgot to say in that chapter five, but it's on that CD you're going to get. It said this, he told the man that was sitting on the porch, he said, he said, get in, get off the porch, get your, he said, get fur. The man said, when, when I get the water's trouble, the first gets in, the water gets healed. The word first means protos, which means get in order. So you have to recognize that when the water was stirred, it was the season of time the Lord stirred it. The water represents the spirit. And the order represents getting your face off in your life in order. So what he was saying is, get your life in order. Face off with the stuff that's keeping you out of order. Know it's the time to deal with your stuff. Because it's the season that we're living in. But you're not going to do it by yourself. You're going to do it in the spirit. Okay? So it's time to deal with it. It's the season we're in. And the spirit is going to do it. Not your willpower. Even though you've failed a hundred times before. This is a different time. Back on that backdrop, Jesus said to him, make the men sit down. You're gonna, we're going to put them in order. He's going to put them in 50. Set, set, set them in 50s. 50 people at a time. That's what the book of Matthew says. And Jesus said, make the men sit down. Because there was a lot of grass for them to sit. So the men sat down. Look at this. In number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed it. Matthew says he broke it. 
distributed to the disciples, and the disciples gave to them that were sit down in orders of 50. And likewise, they did the same thing of the fishes as much as they would. When they all were filled, look at this. He said in disciples, gather up the fragments that remain. That nothing be lost. You think he was caring about the fragments? The fragments were going to become a tool a little bit later. You're going to see it. Therefore, they gathered all the fragments together. They filled 12 baskets. There was 12 disciples with the fragments of the five barley loaves. Look, it doesn't say anything about the fish. Just the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is a truth of that prophet. This is of a truth that that prophet should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him to force to make him king. Jesus was working overtime to not let them exalt him before his season. You don't have to jockey for position if you know who you are. You don't have to cut somebody else's legs out from underneath them so you can get a little bit higher if you know who you are. Because he knew the promotion comes from the Father. He departed again into the mountain himself alone to pray. And when even was now come, his disciples went down to the sea. They entered into a ship and went over to the sea toward Capernaum. Now listen to this. It was dark, nighttime. They couldn't see. And Jesus was not yet come to them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. The storm came. So when they had rowed about five and 20 or 30 furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nearer to the ship. They were afraid. It was dark. The storm came. They were afraid. Now keep in mind, they just walked five chapters, five and a half chapters with Jesus. Right? He saw lame men getting, they saw lame men get healed from the porch. He saw, they saw water turned into wine. They saw him talking to Nicodemus and talking about the, how the spirit works and how the kingdom works. He's talking to the woman at the well and read, his, read her mail. I mean, the Samaritan woman, I mean, these things were happening left and right. They have a history. Now he just took two loaves, or five loaves and two fish, fed 5,000 men plus women and children, which was several thousand people. It wasn't just five. Fed all those people, then picked up 12 fragments and put them in baskets and said, here, let's take these with us because we're going to need them. Right now they're on another part of the journey. Jesus is not with them because they can't see him. It's nighttime. They're afraid. They're scared. Have you ever been in a dark place in your life when things are not where you can't see clearly and you're trying to figure out, dear God, I can't see one foot in front of me. Lord, what are you doing? I don't even see you. I don't see anything I can do. All I know is, and all of a sudden when it gets dark, it gets darker and darker. And finally the wind picks up and it gets even stormier. And things start compounding on you when you could have just handled the one storm, but now it's coming at you from every side. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's dark. Where are you, Lord? Where are you? I know you went to the mountain to pray, but dear God, can you not see where we are right now? I'm in the midst of this trial. I'm in the midst of this storm. Things are collapsing all around me. I've got my brothers. They're praying. They're standing with me, but nothing seems to keep change. 
Nothing, nothing sustaining it. Where are you? Where are you, Lord? <clears throat> we're rowing, we're rowing, we're rowing, we're working, we're doing everything we know to do. We're, we're giving offerings, we're giving tithes, we're doing everything above and beyond. We're serving in the church. We're even speaking well of people we don't even like. We're blessing those that should be, that's cursing us and we're saying all the right things and we got all the formulas down, but God, where in the world are you? I can't see you in front of me. It's dark. It's lonely. I'm talking about lonely even when you got people with you. It's lonely and it's falling apart on you. And the storm just continues to pick up in rigor and force and you're looking around going, God, I don't see you anywhere. And all of a sudden, when Jesus does show up, he shows up in a, in a way that they weren't expecting. He comes walking up on the scene. Back to verse 19 one more time. They see Jesus walking on the sea and him drawing near into the ship and they were afraid. Now, I've read this thing millions of times, probably exaggerated, but lots of times. And it's easy to look at the disciples and say, Jesus is walking to you and you're afraid. Well, has anybody in here been afraid? I'm not talking about what, what some of us call the spirit of fear. I'm talking about you just don't know how it's going to turn out. You look to the left, you look to the right, and there are moments in time when the doctor comes in and gives you a report and you're going, Dear God, and for a fleeting thought, and sometimes more than a fleeting thought, sometimes it takes residence inside your head and you have to deal with it for a couple of days or a couple of weeks. <clears throat> and finally you're going, my God. I, I might die. This, this isn't going to work out the way I thought it would. And all of a sudden you start hypothetically thinking this thing through and you get afraid. And you're praying to God, where are you? Lord, I don't know where you are. And you're looking for this, 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 this man to come riding in on this, this horse, white horse and go, whew, thank God. You're there. No, I'm talking about when, when life is gripping you and you can't personally, physically change your personal circumstance. And I talk to people all the time and I'm not one of those people, but they look at me and they go, man, I just don't let fear in. I don't let, I just don't let fear in. And I'm going, how do you do that? How do you not let fear in? When circumstances are overwhelmed, I really wish everybody was super spiritual like some that we know. Right? They've always got the word to spo speak and they always, they're, they're the kind that you want to just smack real hard. You know what I'm talking about? You got to, look at, I had one guy tell me, you got to speak the word. And I said, brother, if you know the word that's going through my head right now, you probably don't want me to speak that word because <laughs> it's in my mind. You got to speak the, you got to quote the scriptures. Man, if I quote any more scripture, I'm worn out with it. Does this not happen to you all? Maybe this is me. Oh, come on. And you're going, dear God, is this ever going to change? Where are you, Lord? Where are you, God? And you're expecting him one way. And all of a sudden he shows up in another way. And it come, he says he came to come near the ship. He didn't even come on the ship. Dear Lord, can't you see I can't get to you? But you're going to come near us. It would be a lot better if you just jump in here with us. He comes near the ship and they were afraid. Next verse. But he said unto them, it's I, be not afraid. 
they didn't recognize there was no calming until they heard what? His voice. When you hear the voice of God, it'll calm your fears. But if you're looking the way he comes, you'll be scared to death. Because you can be in the middle of your situation and you're going, I believe God's going to do it this way. God's going to believe it this way. He's going to do it this way. And all your brothers are on the same boat with you and they're praying with you. We're all holding hands together. Had prayer meetings there. You quote the same scripture I quote. You're already in it. We're in this together. You start quoting, you quote, quoting, quoting, right? I believe that marriage is going to make it. I believe that marriage is going to make it. I believe that marriage is going to make it. You believe that marriage is going to make it? I believe that marriage is going to make it. Well, you know what? What do you mean there's doubt? You don't believe it's going to, you got to get off the ship. We don't, can't have doubt in here. Can't have, can't have doubt. It's not going to make it. Yeah, you, we got to have people faith in here. All of a sudden, because God's going to do it this way. God's going to do it this way. God's going to do it this way. And, and, and so he starts showing up in a way that's contrary to what you've all been believing for. It'll scare you. It will scare you. But when you get a voice, when you hear the word, and I'm talking about when you get an inner piece of that voice that says, even though that marriage may not work, oh, this is going to be contrary to your doctrine. Even though that marriage may not work, you still can find joy and happiness. What? Are you sanctioning divorce? No, but I am sanctioning joy and happiness. And just because somebody goes through some troubled times, I've, I've, I've been in prayer meetings with people and, and, and a person we believe in for someone, God to heal them. They're going to get healed. They're raised up. They're going to raise them up out of here. You got a couple of people in here that don't believe that. They're talking down. Well, you know, if it's thy will, God, you just cursed it. Get out of here. We can't have that. It's, we're only speaking faith in here. The person dies. It happens. It happens. And we look at them and we go, all right, who didn't have the faith? Who didn't? Somebody didn't have the No. You can have faith, but sometimes God's appearance and God's map and his road plan and the way he approaches you and comes to where you are will scare you to death. But when you hear that voice and he says, I'm here, I'm here where the marriage is saved. I'm here where it's not. I'm here where they live. I'm here where they die. And all of a sudden, a calming comes inside of you, whether you like it or not. It comes inside of you. And you begin to go, oh my God, I hear his voice. Next verse. Then they willingly received him into the ship. Immediately the ship was, the, was at the land where they went. Stop right there for a second. The, the storm wasn't the devil. storm was for Jesus to give them an illustration. You know what's missing in this entire passage of scripture here in verse 20, 21, and 22? I bet you Jesus walks up in the boat after the storm stops, comes walks on, on the water, looks at them while they were all afraid. It's, it's me. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid in the way I enter your situation. Trust me in the way I enter your situation. It is me. I'm in it. I'm in the dark. I'm in the fear. I'm in your trembling. I'm in your storm. I'm in it. Guys, 
Where are your fragments? Have you forgotten that we fed thousands and thousands and thousands of people with two fish and five loaves? And I told you to pick up the the fragments and put them in baskets because we're going to need them later. And even though I wasn't with you when the storm came and you're in a dark place, you still got the fragments. If you would have picked up the fragments, it would have been a memorial and a reminder of what I have done for you just a chapter before this storm hits you. If you would have just picked up the fragments and remembered what I've done for your life. Yes, they didn't make it. They they died. Oh, but do you have the fragments of what I did for you a year ago? I brought you through when you were losing your mind. When you didn't think you had a place to stand and and you were falling apart and you you thought depression was going to take you out. They were falsely accusing you and talking about you and tearing you down. And you had, I, there's a fragment I brought you through. When your body was down and out and you couldn't make it and you just think you were going to live the next, the, the next couple of weeks. And somehow you come through. That was me. And I told you, bring the fragments. I didn't tell you to bring a whole fish and a whole loaf. I work in fragments. I take the residue. I take what's left. I take the broken pieces. I take the things that, 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 that are not your testimony. And you know what I do? <laughs> when I'm in a dark place and they happen, when I'm afraid and it happens, and I've got people around me that are telling me, and I, and I see God coming in the middle of that situation, I'm going, oh God, can you reroute? Can you recalibrate? I don't want you coming that direction. Because this is going to be a painful road. And I, I know where you're coming. I know. And I don't like what you're doing. But you're going to do it. And here he comes. You know what I do? I don't stand up and begin to go. Wait a minute, devil. Wait a minute, life. I've preached in front of thousands and thousands of people. I've seen hundreds of thousands of people saved in 20 years. I've preached at crusades and had thousands of people overseas. Been to many countries. I don't, I don't, I don't say that. I don't stand up and say, devil, you know who you're messing with? I got a book that's printed by Simon and Schuster. Do you, do you, I've, got, I've, had, I've got two books. I've sold more CD. I don't say that stuff. I don't stand up and say, I've overcome you. Do you I don't tell him my successes. You know what I tell when I'm at that place? And I'm scared, shaking, dark time, don't know how it's going to turn out. I start remembering when I was preaching to myself and there wasn't nobody else around. I start remembering working in the, in, the, in the dish room when I had a second story office overlooking the city. I start remembering when I tried to break everything up, my life was falling apart and how God was putting it back together. I remember the fragments. I start reminding myself of the fragments. I start reminding myself of the, the broken places. I start reminding myself, not of my successes. I don't need, he doesn't, he's not excited about your trophy. He's excited about the fragment. Can you get excited about the fragments of your life? When you didn't think you were going to make it and you made it anyway? Oh, you don't beat your chest and say, look what I've done, God. Devil, do you know who you're talking to? No, I beat my chest and say, God, I need mercy. Because I got fragments. 
And here's my fragments, Lord. I remember when I didn't know how to be a dad and you still didn't, you, made, you, you helped me. I didn't know how to be a husband, but you helped me. I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to do all of that, but you helped me. I worked hard. I worked hard. I gave it all I had. I remember humbling myself down to nothing. Fragments. I remember walking outside and walking out and going, where, where, where do you go from here? You're 45 years old. What do you do? I said, I don't know. We're going to create. What are you going to create? I don't know. It's just what we do. We create. We're going to help people. We're going to love people. We're going to create a culture that has no ceiling, where people can be who they're supposed to be in Christ. And we're going to love the rich, and we're going to love the poor. And they're both going to be able to walk in the same doors. We're going to wear a tie one week, and we might not wear a tie the next week. And we're not going to judge somebody that does and someone that doesn't. We're not going to champion champions. We're going to champion champions and losers. The fragments. I'll show you your faith in God, not by your bank account, but I'll show your faith in God. When you realize it's his bank account. I'll show you your faith in God, not by your willpower to be healed in your body. I'll show you your faith in God when you realize he's the landlord and you're the tenant. And if you're just temporarily occupying this space, if something breaks down on the inside of it, I don't have a triple net lease. Triple net leases means I gotta pay for it. I call the landlord. He's responsible. looking for some people, some real people, some genuine people. I'm I'm not really interested in your denomination. I'm not really interested in your persuasion of faith. I'm just really not interested. I'm not. I don't really care about the kind of car you drive or the house that you live in or how much money that you have and who you know. I I don't, that doesn't depress me. Show me your fragments. Here's why. If I know your fragments and I know you're well acquainted with your fragments, I know the next time you go through a storm, the next time you're in a dark place, and the next time you're afraid, you won't pull out your accomplishments to get through it. You're well acquainted with your fragments. And when your back gets against the wall, times get tough and you don't know where to turn, there's just something on the inside of you that says, there's not quitting me. I'm going to strap it up. I'm going to get up. And I'm going to go. Even if I don't even know what it looks like. This is the best time. 
You couldn't have asked for a better time to be here in Revelation, engaged in a body of what God is doing across the earth today. Let me caution you. I've been tempted in it. Caden plays every sport known to man. He's in baseball just about every day. Now he's in flag football after here. We leave here today, we go to flag football until football season starts in the end of July. And he plays on basketball teams practically all year long. And it's easy for me, because I love sports, to go and be so engaged in all of that that I find myself a little disconnected from the spiritual things of life because I'm so engulfed in all of that, right? So about a year ago, I found myself, it was happening to me, I could find myself just, just, just becoming a little dry. And what I, know, what I mean by dry, and this can be real transparent with you, I'd, have to, I'd study for a sermon. I've never studied for sermons. I study for me and just tell you what I'm learning. I've never studied for sermons. About a year ago, I started studying, going, I mean, I gotta, Sunday's coming, Sunday's coming. And I thought, Lord, what is that? I've never done that in my whole life, ever. And I thought, what am I doing? And the Lord began to, said, told me to just take inventory. So I was taking inventory and I realized I'm getting so distracted. Not that they're not wrong, because I love them and I almost still go to them. But my mind and my focus has to stay on him in the spirit of the thing or I can follow these things here that take you in a dry place. Don't get caught up in a dry place. Ministry can be a dry place. Your work can take you to a dry place. Extracurricular activities to take you to a dry place. Am I preaching against all those things? Oh gosh, no. I'm preaching for those things. But if you have him first in your priorities, that's what the man said on the porch. The first one in the water when the stirring started happening got healed. Keep your priorities the priorities. A good friend of mine said to me a couple of weeks ago, he said, man, he said, I've been working all week long. He said, I'm, I'm taking off Sunday. It's the, only night, it's the only day I get a rest is Sunday. He said, but I'm coming back next Sunday. <clears throat> so I'll be there next Sunday. I said, well, that's my day to rest. I'm not coming. So you can come by yourself. He said, what? What do you mean you're not coming? You're the pastor. I said, yeah, but if you could take a day off on Sunday, that's your rest day. I'm going to take one off next week too. Is that okay with you? I said, he said, well, maybe we ought to synchronize them. Why? So you don't show up and I'm not there? He went, no, he said, I'm just so worn out. I need to rest. I said, why don't you call off work on Monday? Take your rest. He said, I couldn't do that. Lord, there's no way I could, there's no way I can call off work. Oh, tracking with you now. I'm not indicting you. I'm just telling you, you want to be engaged in the season that we're in because the waters are stirring and the spirit's moving 
and you got to get it in order so you can get in first. It's just what's happening across the land. This is not a time. It's just not optional. It's just not. He's not an option. Now, whether you're here or not here, keep him prioritized. So everything else can be added into your life in the proper order. I've seen a situation like we are before, where we are right now, not in our church, but in, in history. About 15 years ago, I watched how God was moving in many different places. And I watched this happen. I watched circumstances of life happen for people. They got in dark places like we read about in chapter six. They got afraid. Storms started happening. Things were getting out of control. And, 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 and rather than press in, they begin to get their eyes looking on other people. And when they started looking at other people, they got discouraged. And listen, discouragement doesn't affect other people. Your discouragement will affect you. You hear what I'm saying? So, so, so you've got to get a hold of this thing and you've got to go back to John chapter six and recognize what the Lord is doing is promoting your life moving you to an elevation of life that you've never experienced before. You don't have a frame of reference for this next positive season that you're walking into. You have a frame of reference of where you've been, but you don't have a frame of reference of where you're going. And God's promising you these wonderful things. And you've seen just this glimpses of God doing wonderful things, God doing great things. And you're seeing all this wonderful stuff happening. And all of a sudden in the middle of all of it, you're going, oh God, I'm afraid. I don't know, how, how do I make that happen? You're not responsible for how it happens. But you are responsible for staying connected to the one that makes it happen. Right? You prioritize him. Make him first in every aspect of your life. Be thankful and grateful for those fragments. Don't beat your chest like you're all that. Because the greatest gratitude comes from humility. And humility comes from where he brought you from, not what you did for yourself. Now, here's what I'm going to do this morning. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes right where you are? I'm going to close here in just a moment. Nobody's looking around. I heard this in in my heart, and I know this to be true. The Lord is expressing himself. The Lord is revealing and unveiling himself in a dimension to the church. Unlike we've ever experienced in the past. Listen to me. I'm not so sure he hadn't tried to do it before. I'm just not so sure we were able to see it before. But I'm here to tell you. This is your moment. And this is your time. For those waters that are stirred. For you to face off with the stuff that's in your life. Get it in order. Jump in the water and let God take you where he wants to take you. It's a dimension you dream about, your heart's longing for, but you don't know how to get there. And your analytical, Philip, will not take you there. Philip analyzed, checked out the budget, looked at his plan and went, oh God, I don't think it'll work. Jesus says, just put it in order. Have the men sit down. Because what I'm going to do is going to blow your mind and their mind. Nobody's looking around. 
I'm going to ask everybody in here today, who in here needs to really be saved? You're not where you need to be with God. He's with you, but you're not with him. He's stepping with you, but you're not stepping with him. And you don't know what it looks like. And I'm not asking you to to forecast the next five years. I'm asking you to forecast the next five seconds. Who in here is ready to give your heart to the plan and the purpose that God has prepared for you with nobody looking around? I want you to slip your hand up for me. I see your hand. Who else? Just keep your hand up. I see your hand. Yes. I see your hand back there. Who else? Just keep your hand up for me if you don't mind. Who else? Yeah. Would, would everybody just stand to your feet for just a moment? Those three people that raised their hands. Now this is gonna be, I'm gonna ask you to do something real bold. All three of you that raised your hands. Everybody that didn't raise their hand and has given their heart to the Lord before has made this step themselves. If you raise your hand, I want you to step out of your seat and I want you to come right up front for me, all three of you, if you don't mind. Thank you, thank you, honey. Thank you, honey. Here. Oh, this is good. Thank you. Now, look, this is two that have gone from death unto life. Right? Now, listen, that doesn't mean they haven't had a relationship. This doesn't mean they haven't had a relationship with God before, right? What this is saying is that they're surrendering their life. To the plan and purpose that God has for him. Now, he's not looking for your trophies. He just wants your fragments. He wants your fragments. And the fragments will be the memorializing and memorizing of what you do as you step out and go forward. Now, here's what I want you to do. This is going to seem crazy. I need a couple of people to come and pray with them. If you don't mind up here, you guys just stay up here. I'm going to have a couple ladies come and pray with you. We're going to pray with him too. He'll be praying for them in a minute. I know him. Now listen, here's what I want to do real fast. It's only 12.32. Who in here needs physical healing in your body? You need a physical healing, emotional healing, or something in your body. Catherine, anybody else? Anybody else need physical healing? Jason, I want you, all of our team that comes and prays, our impartation team, Stacy, all of us, whoever is available, come up here. If you need physical healing in your body, I'm going to have Steph, they're going to sing one song, then I'm going to dismiss everybody. But I want you to come and we're going to pray for people right now. So whoever you are, just step out of your seat. You need physical healing. I need you to come up here and we're going to lay hands on you and pray for you. Okay?
God is faithful. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. Still in your hands. This is my confidence. You continue to pray up against, around the altar here. If you do need prayer and you need to come up before, come on up. We want to pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I bless my brother. I bless my sister. I say, God, let this be a wonder, an incredible week. Let them have the, the, the recognition and the understanding, God, that you are doing something in their life that's overwhelming, that's overflowing, that the Spirit is moving, God, and they can expect great things ahead of them. Bless them as they go. Bless them coming and bless them going. Let them know that they're the above only and not beneath, and they're the head and not the tail. And let all things work together for their good. Let them have the confidence in you, no matter what comes their way, God. You have it under control. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you all. We'll see you on Wednesday night.